Christ-centered exposition um, for on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, so today we're going to do verses 12 through 18, chapter 1, 12 through 18. I, so in these verses, we get to explore two ways that uh, Paul was suffering tribulation. Um, so the first, of course was that he was in prison, awaiting for trial, and possibly, um, there's a possibility of execution. Uh, so that's the first reason. Second reason is because these preachers, uh, there were preachers that were competing against him and taking advantage of his situation. Um, so some envy and rivalry um, toward, uh, toward Paul. So. Paul's going to address those two uh, sources of grief for the Philippians uh, in these in these passages, uh, and he wants he wants the Philippians to know uh, that that even though he's he's suffering these afflictions, he's encouraged, and he wants the Philippians to know that to know that they should be encouraged too, because. Christ's mission is being accomplished. People were hearing the gospel. Fellow Christians were being inspired and all this to the glory of God. And this is, of course, Paul's main desire and goal is for God to be glorified and for people to hear the, the gospel. Um, last week, just, just a, a refresher last week, uh, Paul or, or pastor discussed um, Paul's affection uh, for his Philippian partners um, and his desire for them to increase uh, in the growth of love, discernment, knowledge, and fruitfulness so that God may be glorified. Um, even though Paul uh, was not in prison, he did not complain. Rather, he encouraged others to rejoice with him. And then he concluded the letter with this very heartfelt prayer, where he expressed a desire for their love to abound more and more. So let's read our passage. Chris, would you like to read our passage? 12 through 18. 12 through 18. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. 
Yes, I will rejoice. Thank you. Um, okay, so so uh, Paul is starting the body of his letter here. Um, last week, he concluded the introduction. So he's jumping in right into his reason for writing to the Philippians, and that's to, to encourage them. Um, he wants to convince them that God is using his circumstances to advance the, the gospel. So he's providing some evidence here of, uh, of why they should be encouraged. Uh, so the Philippians probably interpreted um, Paul's circumstances as just getting worse. Um, so he's, he was arrested in uh, Jerusalem. Um, he had an opportunity actually to um, to not have to appeal. If he hadn't appealed, if you guys remember that, he could have. They would have actually released him. Um, but he he appealed to. Um, Caesar and that actually was providential because of course that brought him into the situation that we're going to read about um, that that brought him into the imperial palace um, so that's very providential but to the Philippians things are just getting worse and worse um, and and it seems like the Philippians must have been aware that these preachers, other preachers were striving against him because he just kind of abruptly brings this up. He doesn't like lead into it about these other preachers. So if he's trying to encourage the Philippians, I don't think he would have brought up another reason for them to be worried. Uh, so, so the Philippians uh, knew that there was a strife going on. So we don't, I don't know if he's addressing preachers striving against him like in Philippi or in, in Rome, but either way, we know like Judaizer, he constantly had these problems with uh, Judaizer uh, preachers. So, so again, he, he uh, knows, he says right here, I want you to know, brothers, um, he, he wants them to know that the gospel is, is, being victorious despite his circumstances. Uh, so, uh, let's some, do some whiteboarding here. What, um, what do you think are some emotions the Philippians were, were feeling for Paul? Remember Paul, the, the great apostle Paul was the founder of their church. They totally changed their, their lives uh, based on Paul's leadership. So he's in prison now in Rome. What, what do you think they're feeling? Well, they we're concerned about him. Concerned? Okay. In other words, I should have wrote this down here. So okay, concerned? Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking at that, right? But if you want to look at the big picture, I mean the big picture. He's got his own personal bodyguard. A Roman soldier to protect him from, uh, you know, okay. times that tried to kill him on that. He's got his own personal Roman bodyguard. Paul? Yeah. Like in the Lord? Or? Yeah. In other words, hey, nobody's going to kill him or anything with that Roman soldier chained to him, is he? Oh. Okay. <laughs> He's got his own personal that's, that's bodyguard. Good. Very good. 
He's pretty protected in the Imperial Palace, I guess. Yeah, he's protecting Gaul. Very good. So, concern? Anything they're else? Sorry. What's that? They're sorry. They're, so they're, they're sorry for him. Yeah. They like mm -hmm. are feeling, they're they're feeling sorrow. They're empathetic and sympathetic for him. So, um, what do I say? They, like, they're sorrowful, sorrowful for him. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in some ways, I, I, mean, I, I think in that situation, I would feel defeated a little bit because oh, of the fact that your leaders, I mean, it's one thing if I got thrown in jail, but if your own leader is in jail, you know, what chance do you have? That's good. So, so that would be, be tough. And then that defeat, uh, doubt. Doubt, that's a big one, for well, sure. A when a leader fails now. Absolutely. Okay, so you just said when a leader fails. Sorry. So no, that's that's that, big. That was actually. So right. it's like, is doubt because it's like, is he failing? Right. Is doubt because there's evidence that he may have failed? Um, so there's like like um, skepticism too, which is more than doubt. So. Well, yeah, I'm wondering whether God's in, God's in control. Yeah. It's not really big enough. Yeah. Uh huh. Is this the God we're supposed to go after? I'm this is. It's got to. I think maybe some of them might have been feeling some some of the good ones might have been feeling humility with having to accept like, oh, this is what happens. Like Jesus died, Paul's in prison. And this is what we've been fighting for is for him to be persecuted, like Christ said, it's what happened. So that'd be a really confusing feeling to have. Just like, I guess I just have to accept that that's what happens. I mean, he said it was going to happen, and now it's happening. Does that make sense? <coughs> You're saying that, that the people said Jesus? I probably felt humility knowing what was said in the Sermon on the Mount and other things. Yeah. Happened. And what happened to Jesus, like, but now that it's actually happening for Paul, they're like, yeah, I have to, yeah. we knew this was going to happen, but we're going to have to embrace it. Do you think we would have realized that in the moment? I don't know. Because I see that more as hindsight. Sure, yeah, probably. You're seeing, they're, they know it's becoming a reality. They know that they're, they're going to need to Definitely surrender to. So fear. In other words, he's willing to go to jail for what he believes. Okay. It's pretty good. Um, I had here uh, uh, feeling uh, uh, frustration over injustice, um, anger. But what we need to, you know, so I'm going to be talking a lot about encouragement and how joyful, of course, I mean, that's the point here, how joyful Paul was. But, I mean, of course, he wasn't jumping up and down and, and celebrating. So he had a heavy heart. And that's, that's the paradox here, right? Is that Paul... You know, I just made me think of, uh, and I don't know what country he's in, I was reading World Magazine here couple of years ago, I think it was, and it's there in the Middle East somewhere, they put all the Christians in jail, 
everything people were getting saved and getting excited. Well, what the authorities didn't realize was that because of who they threw in jail, they actually had a miniature Bible college there in the jail. So you got thrown in jail for two years, and you came out with a two-year Bible degree. And so God was using that as, you know, they thought they were doing damage, but yet it was quite the opposite. God gave opportunities for people to, yeah. Um, so, so these, this is how the Philippians, uh, were probably feeling this, how, what Paul, uh, Paul knew that they must have been feeling this way so much so that he wrote this, this letter. Um, but he really wanted them to see that his imprisonment, um, that the Lord was using his imprisonment for the advancement of the gospel. So Paul, uh, Paul's theology anchored him uh, in the truth and encouraged him that God was working for good even through suffering. And because Paul lived by his theology, he, the theology that he loved, he was sensitive to the ways that God was working uh, within these circumstances and he was seeing these, this in real time because he was so sensitive to, uh, to his trust in God's providence and, and trust in God's promises. So God was working toward his goal, and Paul happened to love the same goal, um, which was to the advancement of the gospel to bring glory to the Lord Jesus. So, um, so he wasn't experiencing nearly as much frustration as he could have because he wasn't focused on his own personal desires and goals that weren't working out. He was sensitive um, to God's goal of advancing the gospel, advancing the mission of the Lord Jesus, and bringing glory to his own name. And so he was seeing the evidence around himself. But if he was more focused on justice and preparing for his defense and and looking to see how that was going, um, he would have missed um, God's working around him. Well, and you could look at, too, his evangelism of the palace guards. In other words, mm-hmm. he had a, should we say, while well, like guard was chained to him, he more or less was a captive audience to hit the gospel. That's right. So he was taking... So in other words, and you know, he got different guards all the time, so in other words... He was influencing the whole government in a way where he was chained up. Hey, hey, maybe this Christianity is just pretty good. So worship is getting up and stuff. Hey, it's bad stuff. Yeah. So he was looking for opportunities um, within his circumstances to to meet his common goal with the Lord, uh, which was giving him energy. I think there's a tendency here to look too much at the bad side, where maybe we should be looking at the good stuff that was happening. Yeah, like, you know, being on a pokey ain't the greatest, but hey, it did a, gave him, I think he had a lot more opportunity, he had personal protection of the Roman government and everything mm-hmm. else. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. That's it. Well, I think that's what Paul's trying to get us to do, because our, yeah. our focus is normally oh my goodness, look at what we're going through. We're all going to die. We're all going to be 
from the Lions were, and and those of us who aren't are are messing up the gospel. They're they're not preaching it right. So we've got it on all on all ends. There is a lot of negative Paul's things for Paul right, to be able to see if he wanted. Yep. Isn't he the same one who said, "I'm content in everything"? Mm-hmm. And this. That's right. Yep, that's the climax of this this letter, right? <laughs> no, it's it's not my lesson, so you didn't. <laughs> um, okay, so here, so based on everything you guys are saying, um, that's that's this. Suffering equals opportunity for joy. So suffering equals opportunity for um, for these right concern, sorrow, anger, doubt, frustration, fear, um, or it can be or it can equal opportunity for joy. So modeling, so Paul is modeling a way a way of life that is unique to the Lord Jesus, which is that. So Paul had the same joy as Jesus because Paul had the same desires and goals as Jesus. He took pleasure in the same thing and both loved to see the gospel advanced. So now we see that that his imprisonment is for the glory of God. Um, Let's read verse 12 just so we can kind of get into into the density here. Uh, In a way, you might want to look at this as not really a criminal imprisonment. This is more a house arrest deal mm-hmm. to make sure that he'd show up when his court date yeah. deal. Well, but it, yeah, but I mean, it's still still criminal as well. This is after, um, you know, Christian expulsion in Rome. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing to be a Christian. Um, I don't know what, during this specific time, I know there was Christian expulsion before then, but I don't know the exactly um, this would be more of a comeback how the Christians were were being treated specifically at this time in Rome but it, it also I mean it just wasn't it was before Constantine right it wasn't a great time to be a Christian in the Roman Empire um, so there was there is definitely threats um, that that Paul could be executed based on the results of of the trial and that was the real, real concern here. Okay. Um, I, want you, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Uh, so, again, he's very concerned about them, and he wants them to know that what has happened has, has um, served to advance the gospel. So there's there's a lot here about serving and um, Paul seeing himself as a servant. Um, so here, again, he stressed 
uh, his main reason for writing the letter, letter, which was encouragement and to provide confidence uh, to the Philippians so that they know that the gospel is being shared despite uh, him being in prison. Um, and, and that this really was the opportunity that they uh, were looking for because they were shared partners in the mission. Um, and he used the word advance intentionally uh, because Paul was a true progressive. He was making the point that Christians should seek to progress or advance God's kingdom rather than making uh, rather than becoming overwhelmed by present circumstances. Even though he was in prison at the time, he encouraged the Philippians to focus on what was important, God's mission, his word, and not the uh, temporal circumstances. He was reminding them, you know, he, he had just gotten done with his prayer, um, thanking God for their partnership. So he was saying, hey, everything that we're a partner in is, is, is happening. It's happening here in Rome. Um, so everything is still working toward our goal. So the, uh, the book talks about how we never know how God might use our suffering for his glory. And we've talked about that, you know, over the last three weeks, I think now, two or three weeks. Um, and that's really what the what we need to get out of the, the letter to the Philippians, right? Is, is trusting God, trusting his providence, trusting his sovereignty, and, and having that simple goal uh, to bring glory to, uh, to the name of God. We know, uh, we know the power of God. He could have just as easily sent Paul on a mission to spread the gospel in the streets, not in prison, but he didn't. Uh, so when a lot of times when we suffer, we feel we feel these emotions. Uh, we know that God could easily work out circumstances that would relieve these emotions, um, but He doesn't. So, so let's talk about that again. I know we talked about that probably each week um, previous to this, but I mean this is the whole point of why we're going through this. I think is to help us understand that, that God, um, God works uh, his providence out to where we find ourselves in these circumstances that, that naturally cause us to feel these emotions. So does anybody want to maybe discuss what we've learned up to this point about God and why? Um, why he deals with circumstances in this way? Well, I think one of the things is that one of the great challenges, one of the great opportunities for us uh, in growing in our faith is the challenge, the opportunity to see the world differently. To just recognize that there is this other plane that exists. And that we see that modeled in the life and ministry of Jesus continuously. When I think of um, just you know just what we went through, Holy Week, everything led up to Good Friday, and that seemingly terrible moment of Christ's death and the, the, the disarray and the confusion, and the fear, 
and to realize a few days later it was going to completely change. Paul is manifesting this here in prison, right here. He's, he's living on that plane that those first disciples had to recognize. I think of uh, we're in the Gospel of John. John's peeking into that tomb, and it, all of a sudden it comes to him. All of a sudden he gets it. Um, Jesus told us. And there's this aha moment for him. Whereas at that same time, Mary, it was a little bit lingering. It took a little bit more time. And um, to me, that's, that's really the power of this whole thing. Is, and, and when I think about it for myself is, it's just easy to, to succumb to just this temporal world and, and our temporal expectations, our temporal desires, our, you know, just sort of look like, like that and not see that there are other, there are other things at work here. It, it's um, the aha moment, yeah. right? So the first, you know, I think I'm still striving for that aha moment. And that's why the study is so important to me, is that um, believing that there is that other, other plane. And then once, once we believe it, once we really believe it, then we'll live it. Um, uh, maybe I'll go uh, uh, be a chaplain at the VA or something after I believe that. But and then and then and then we'll and then we come back because the Philippians probably believe that you know they probably had the aha moment. But then Paul wrote the letter to remind them. Then the remembrance comes in. That's why we come to church and read the scripture because then we have to be remembered because this is really incredible reality that we can both suffer and have joy and temporarily, you know, in a temporal way, it's so, it's so easy to see the suffering, but then we have constant remembrance that there is the other plane and that there is evidence um, and, and to trust in the Lord. Well, then too, you gotta look at this time in Rome you were, they were moving from a pagan society gradually to a Christian society. Where if you look in this country, back in the founding, the Bible was one of your main textbooks. Mm -hmm. You know, in school and all that. Yep. Now you almost have to sneak it in. <laughs> yeah, and the aha will go go away very quickly without, without the opportunity to, to remember in the Word. Um. Can I, I mm -hmm. like I think the thing that's so compelling to me about this section and other sections like this in the Bible, like James, like it's just like count it all joy when you endure suffering of many kinds, or trials of many kinds. It's so direct. Um, and it's clear that it's hard. It's clear that it's a difficult thing to accept. But I feel like both in James and in Paul, like Paul is there. Like he is suffering as much as, as far, pretty much as much as anyone can um, for being a Christian, other than Christ, of course. But he's like, I'm here, guys. And it's, it's true. Like, it's, it's really real. I'm telling you, like, um, I think the big thing for us, like you're saying, of really getting it is that this isn't like some kind of perspective to kind of flirt with or think about. Mm. Like, oh, this is kind of, kind of a nice idea. 
Um, yeah. It's a fact. Like it's a straight up tenet yeah. that you need to accept and move on accepting it. Um, it makes me think of like it was when you were talking. It's making me think of like when we go at night to like a fireworks show. It's so dark, but when that firework goes off, it is without a doubt. It comes. It's designed to come out in a very specific shape, mm -hmm. and you can look to the person. That's like a weeping willow. That's very. It's good. a fact. It's a weeping willow. It's beautiful. The darkness is not winning. The light right. is on display. The sun will some come out tomorrow. That's right. But and it's like it points you to the light. And yeah. it's just so easy with the with the dark too. But we're we're not like that when we look at fireworks. When we look at fireworks, we're like, that's awesome. It's not the and dark that's, really freaking me out though. That's the church, isn't it? That is the design. It's design. God designed the church um, so that we can see uh, the evidence of of him working. Um, in this in this way, so you're right. It's a. I was gonna say I remember when I was in college of Grace. It must have been I'll say 81, 82. A guy came and uh, he was from uh, Europe, and I think it was obviously one of the communist countries. In and uh, he commented the thing he couldn't get over in America was how. This is my word. He how freaked out we were about suffering. <laughs> and he, said, he said, over there, we got it all joy. You know what I'm saying? He's good. He says, that means the Lord's working. Oh, wow. And he just, just some perspective on that. He spoke to chapel to say, you guys have got it all messed up, man. And that was, you know, 81, 82. He was talking about that thing. He didn't understand that. So remember that because I have a question here that you can answer, which that was like, that was perfect. Um, okay, so, so what we can know is that nothing happens outside God's sovereign will. So again, um, Paul's confidence, his hope was grounded in his theology. And his theology was, of course, very specific, specifically, specifically grounded on God's sovereignty uh, and his providential wisdom. So he knows, because he's the one that told us, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to God's purpose. So Jesus Christ also believed this, of course. And he trusted in God's uh, sovereign purpose, even in the moments of his deepest sorrow. Um, he, Jesus, of course, knew that God's purpose was greater than his suffering, even though, of course, um, Jesus was the man of sorrows. And he often had a heavy heart. And he often dealt with the immediate circumstances for example, when Jesus was anticipating Gethsemane, he expressed both, both, both sorrow and perfect trust. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Um, and then, of course, Isaiah 53. Um, let me... Let me just break this up a bit. Somebody wants to read Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11.
10 and 11. Yes, sir. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of the soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Thank you. So here we say, we see, um, it was the will of the Lord to crush him and, and put him to grief, right? Suffering. And then we see, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Joy. Just like Jesus, Paul was confident God had a purpose for his suffering, and he wanted the Philippians to hear the evidence. Uh, so then he, he, he goes through the evidence. Uh, verse 13, running out of time. So uh, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Uh, so, so evidence one, first evidence, uh, it has become known to the entire imperial guard uh, that, that his imprisonment was for Christ. So his imprisonment provided him a captive audience. This allowed him to witness to people that would otherwise have been inaccessible um, to him. It, it brought him to the top tier of the Roman Empire. And, and uh, Jesus, he, he knew that Jesus knew that this was going to happen, that there was going to be um, great tribulation for, for the apostles. Uh, Jesus said, you will be delivered over to the councils and beaten in the synagogues. On my account, you will stand before governors and kings as, as witnesses to them. Uh, so this wasn't, this wasn't a surprise to the apostles, even though Paul didn't hear this directly from, from Jesus. Um, I'm sure he did hear it from his fellow um, apostles. Now, Jesus had, had uh, prophesied this. So Paul closes the letter with, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This was the household of the tyrannical Nero. A couple years later, Nero would scapegoat Christians in the most horrific ways imaginable. Uh, so Paul's influence here was simply incredible and all made possible through God's sovereign will. Paul, again, based on, on his theology and based on not only his theology, but what he had already experienced through God's promises, um, he, he, he trusted in God's providential wisdom and used his circumstances uh, and, and trusted that God would use his circumstances to put the gospel first um, and to allow him to proclaim the, uh, that the Lord Jesus um, is king, is, is the king above Caesar. 
And, and again, um, he was following the example of Jesus in um, being more concerned about spiritual circumstances than temporal circumstances, and not only for himself, but for others as well. So the second um, um, point of evidence that he shares with the Philippians was that um, other Christians were being inspired toward boldness um, because of, of Paul's witness in, in Rome. So Paul was, was a role model uh, in this. He, was, he came to Rome. He was still willingly proclaiming um, the Lord Jesus, even though there, he was under threat of execution. Um, and it did not sway him. So that, that created boldness for others, that they could follow Paul in the same, in the same boldness. Uh, Paul was living um, his, his teaching and his advice to, li- to live as citizens of, of heaven. He personally, he was showing that he could personally care and, and be concerned and love others even within his suffering and he was proving um, that God was engaged and did answer his promises. Now let's get to the second reason why uh, Paul is, is encouraging the Philippians despite his circumstances. So the first reason is because he's in prison and he's under threat of execution. Second reason is um, because of verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only then in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Um, so in other words, he's happy the gospel gets out, whether it's goodwill or bad will, the gospel still gets out there. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So there were two, two sets of, of preachers here. Um, one uh, was engaging in partnership with, with Paul and was, um, was actually excited by Paul's success in Rome and others were envious of, of his success. So why do you think that, why do you think that there's preachers who voluntarily become preachers um, and, and they do that, but the, they still have a motivation out of envy and competition. Well, 
you still have that amongst preachers today. When the preachers have the meeting, how big a church you got? How many people you got? How many baptisms did you have? Blah, blah, blah. See, in other words, they're looking at the statistics of... Yeah, yeah, okay. Like statistics. You're preaching to 100,000 or you to 20? So they're success-based. What's that? Okay, so more followers, more money. Okay. They're missing the point of the position. Mm -hmm. Like, not, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's God who does it, but it's, it's much different than, well, not a ton different, I guess, but it's just different than other jobs. It's shepherding a flock. It's not, you know, um, even even the growth of the church isn't yeah even the growth of the church isn't a capitalism type of growth like if we're not thinking growth we're we're just gonna go out of business it's like it's, what but Paul was creating growth too right so it's a different perspective go ahead it's the only job where your reward isn't in this world your reward is in heaven everything uh, else is you get reward okay. here now okay so you're so you're saying. Okay, you're saying that there's, uh, so I think that they need to have a different perspective, these these MPS preachers. Paul didn't think, I need this many people to come to Christ. That wasn't his goal. His goal was, Uh wherever I am, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to spread the gospel of the numbers of God's business. That's how it should be, yeah. Very good. So there's different, like you guys hit on different aspects of success, um, statistics and, and growth, money. Um, um, they, they were, evidence of success for them was different than evidence of success for Paul, Mary, which was um, spiritual expansion. Um, you know, I think we're back to Cain and Abel. Uh, there's a jealousy there. And, Abel was simply doing what he knew was right to the Lord. He got killed for it. Cain got jealous of him. And that's kind of what Paul was doing. Mm-hmm. He's simply doing what, what the uh, Lord wanted him to do. And it's mm-hmm. amazing how people get jealous of that. And, and, and Paul was seemingly, well, let's see, he was being blessed, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes frustrates people. Because, you know, for all the reasons, reasons mentioned, yeah, so, yeah, we'll talk here um, really soon about, man, you keep, like, you keep, like, getting, like, right on. So, so I didn't even, I skipped over the last question because you already answered it. So, so, um, so yeah, the, the brotherly competition, which is really fascinating because we know that who can stick closer than a brother? So, so. You know what is a stronger relationship than a brotherly relationship and uh, when you think of fellow partners in the gospel that's they are brothers and and so just like throughout the history of throughout all of history um, when you see competition between brothers it is not a good thing and that's these creatures are struggling with something that the like the disciples already struggled with earlier with Christ, James and John, who's the greatest. 
and they're just, it's just like, that's right. It started, it started with the Sorry, December. I, I just care that the cops is going out. <laughs> this is old. They'll figure it out. It, it, yeah. Well, I don't want my son to sit here. That's right. That's right. Then their mother gets in, uh, in, in the middle. In a way, that should be the Christian's position that the, they hate you because you're a reminder of them of what they should be doing instead of what they are doing. Because you're that sore thumb that, hey, somebody's doing it right. So, I think they still have some of that old, that old Jewish thing in them that, well, if you're, if you're being persecuted, if you're sick, then there must be sin in your life. There must be something wrong. So they still got that mindset. So they're saying, well, Paul had some terrible sin yes. going on, and that's why he's prison and so we need to we need to get rid of him. He's just being punished for, you know, God's punishing him for what he's done and we'll let God do his dirty work there and we'll go on with the gospel without him. Um, and that's that's very helpful because this is what I've been struggling with. Um, because you know is were these preachers believers? And and so at first I'm like, well, yeah, they're believers. are just typical envy and competition. Um, but this, when he says, um, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me, they were thinking to afflict him in his imprisonment. Um, so there's malice there. It's not just uh, envy and competition. It went further than that. But like you're saying... Bethany, um, if if they thought that him being imprisoned is evidence that he must have been doing something wrong, um, and they had a wrong understanding of his imprisonment, then then I could see that there was some they were they're on the offense against Paul in a way, like he must have done something wrong. And so that they're even they're adding more affliction on top of him, um, um, even though he's imprisoned. So I'm trying to I'm just that helps me understand better what their motivation could have been as believers. Um, if did I make any sense there? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think go back to the story of Job, right? The first thing his friends came to him, they said, "You all say screw that. We don't know what your kid says." <laughs> That's right. But now that's right. And they were his brothers, yeah. Yeah. And, and they were concerned for him. Right, they were concerned yeah. for him. That was their automatic go-to thing. Joe said, I, I haven't done anything wrong. And I don't think they understand the impact of what they're saying. Because what they're really saying in that way is, you must have done something so much worse than the way that I am. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Perfect. Which Bethany saying. And really puts all of this into perspective. So... Thank you. So, so then to take that to another level, like how, how did these gospel partners get into this, this situation? Uh, so the book gives us a great picture here. If Satan can corrupt your hearts with a love of money or with sexual sin, he may try this if he can't. I'm sorry. 
if he can't corrupt your heart with love of money or with sexual sin, he may try this tactic, envy and rivalry. Consider a story from the fourth century on the sin of envy. Some experienced, de- some experienced demons were finding it difficult to afflict a godly hermit. They lured him with various temptations, but the man kept denying their allurements. The demons resorted, reported their problem to Satan. The evil one told them that they had been far too hard on the man. He suggested a more effective strategy. Send him a message that his brother has just been made Bishop of Antioch. Bring him good news. The demons used the devil's scheme, reporting the wonderful, quote, unquote, wonderful news to the pious hermit. On hearing this message, the godly hermit fell into deep, wicked jealousy. So envy and ambition is um, some of Satan's favorite weapons in his arsenal of spiritual warfare. And he is obviously using it um, here in, in Rome, because why wouldn't he be using his big weapons at this moment? So these, so, I mean, that's, we kind of talked about reasons for maybe justifying these envious um, preachers, especially me understanding how, how envious and ambitious I can be. Um, I wouldn't hate to think of myself as, as being above those, those preachers. Uh, but we do know that these other preachers uh, did not have the spirit of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. So um, this, is, this is where these preachers were going wrong. They should have had, they needed to have the spirit of humility. They obviously didn't have the perspective of Paul. They didn't have the sensitivity that Paul did um, toward God's providence and sovereignty. And if they did, then they would see the amazing things God was doing around, around Paul. Um, but they also had their problem of envy. Paul was bringing spotlight um, to the gospel. Um, to, and and by, because of that, spotlight was, was being shown on his ministry, and these, these preachers did not like that. So Paul says... So there's the conclusion. Uh, this is his encouragement to the Philippians uh, within this, this strife. Paul said, look, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching Jesus Christ. They're proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And that's really what matters. Um, of course, Paul... Paul would have liked for them to have the right motivation, right? Because witness is very important, very strong. But he also knew that the power uh, is from the Holy Spirit through God's word. So if these preachers are sharing God's word, then that is great. And Paul rejoices over that. So Paul could even rejoice within that affliction. So... um, so based on um, 12 through 18, 
Paul uh, shows us the key to maintaining joy and, um, within suffering is to stay focused on Jesus, make the gospel the focus of our life, and make it our ambition to make Christ the center of attention, not ourselves. Let's conclude with, with some scripture here. So this is, this is his motivation in contrast to the envious preachers. First Thessalonians 2. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And later in that passage, Paul says, they don't seek glory from people. And then, and then to, to wrap up his heart in his circumstances, 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities calamities for when i am weak then i am strong make the gospel the focus of your life and let's pray for boldness to proclaim the gospel without fear we would like to close this prayer Thank you. Okay. Say one more thing. Uh-huh. It's amazing how freeing this passage is. I miss it a lot, but it really is a freeing passage. Um, particularly with us, with our need to evangelize to those who are not saved and to disciple each other. Because I think that we can get caught up with, like, what do I need to tell Cliff? What does he need to hear from me? And it's all about me, it's all about him, it's all about him, it's all about me. And Paul is making it very clear here. It's not about you. It's not about that. It's about the advancement of the gospel. That's all that matters. So if you, like if I want to disciple anyone in this room or anyone wants to disciple me, it's about the advancement of the gospel. If you say it in some way that like, I don't know if this is the way that they would necessarily want to hear it, but I'll just say it how I need to say it. It doesn't matter. It's the advancement of the gospel. That's what brought me back to church, is people speaking the word of God to me when I didn't want to hear it. That brought me back to the problem here. So I'm just saying it's completely freeing to us with evangelizing other people and discipling each other. Because we don't need to worry about ourselves or worry about like, well, I don't know if I want to, I mean, we don't want to speak lies, but it's okay to speak the truth and be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to advance the gospel. I don't need to impress anybody. And that just blows my mind. Yeah, I know. Like, it's just really inspiring It's a freedom. It's a freedom in sharing the gospel. Freedom from being criticized by everybody in the world, including myself. So when we, as opposed to just doing it for God and the advancement of the gospel. 
So when we don't get criticized, it's a form of success, right? If we're, if we're like, man, we share, I just shared the gospel and uh, they didn't think I was like awkward and I said that pretty eloquently, that was successful. But instead of just saying, hey, that was an opportunity to share the gospel, that's success within itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to let God use us. I mean, and I'm sure that you've had the same experience when you know, I've taught some lessons, and I remember at the end of the lesson thinking, wow, that did not go well at all. I just, I don't know what went wrong. That was just, there was just nothing there. And I had more people come to me and say, Blessed by that, then mm. the lessons when I thought, wow, I was really on target. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So, God's got you right. for there. Not only am I yeah. going to advance the gospel, I'm also going to grow you at the same time yeah. and make you feel like you did. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And also humbling because when I really thought that I was on target, yeah, maybe you were on target, but you weren't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Paul was not eloquent. I mean, or famously not not eloquent. I mean, he must have, it makes me think about how he was kind of behind the scenes when he was um, persecuting Christians, you know? Like he wasn't very confident to be out there um, in front. Um, But I don't know, sometimes I think about um, his lack of confidence and how that may have caused him to be um, so what's the word aggressive maybe um, and then and then when and then the Lord totally changed them and he had to realize that success is not based on himself based on his eloquence and that success is only based on advancing the gospel mm-hmm.